boys and girls going down to children's church, you can slip out if everybody else would take your Bible and turn to that little book of Nahum one more time. There's no doubt as to the overriding theme of this little book. Over and over again, we've seen the wrath of God prophesied against Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and thus the wrath against the Assyrian Empire itself. We call this series the rest of the story because really it's the rest of the story of what happened in Nineveh. We know about Nineveh because we've learned the story of Jonah and Jonah went and preached to Nineveh. He didn't want to, but God made sure that he did. And uh, there's a great repentance, there's a great revival, and God does not judge them at that time, but then a long time passes. And now we have these wicked Assyrian people, these Ninevites, and uh, God's had enough. And God is going to punish them. God is going to pour out His judgment upon them. And what we have here in chapter 3 is we see the why behind God's judgment. We've seen what it says about His judgment, but now we're going to see why God is judging these people. Now, I've got to warn you, these are disturbing words that we're about to read. Um, They're just disturbing. Um, They're pretty blunt. They're pretty bold. Uh, They're hard words, but we need to read God's Word together. Numbers 3. I want to begin reading at verse number 1. We'll read through the entire chapter and then come back and talk about it. Woe to the bloody city. It is all full of lies and robbery. Its victim never departs. The noise of a whip and the noise of rattling wheels, of galloping horses, of clattering chariots. Horsemen charged with bright sword and glittering spear. There is a multitude of slain, a great number of bodies, countless corpses, They stumble over the corpses because of the multitude of harlotries, of the seductive harlot, the mistress of sorceries, who sells nations through her harlotries and families through her sorceries. Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and families through her sorceries. Behold, and kingdoms your shame, rather. I will cast abominable filth upon you, make you vile, and make you a spectacle. It shall come to pass that all who look upon you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is laid waste. Who will bemoan her? Where shall I seek comforters for you? Are you better than Noemon that was situated by the river, that had waters around her, whose rampart was the sea, whose wall was the sea? Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength, and it was boundless. Put and Lubin were your helpers. Yet she was carried away. She went into captivity. Her young children also were dashed to pieces at the head of every street. They cast lots for her honorable men, and all her great men were bound in chains. You also will be drunk. You will be hidden. You also will seek refuge from the enemy. All your strongholds are fig trees with ripened figs. If they are shaken, they fall into the mouth of the eater. Surely your people in your midst are women. The gates of your land are wide open for your enemies. Fire shall devour the bars of your gates. Draw your water for the siege. Fortify your strongholds. Go into the clay and tread the mortar. Make strong the brick kiln. There the fire will devour you. The sword will cut you off. It will eat you up like a locust. Make yourself many. 
like the locusts. Make yourself many like the swarming locusts. You've multiplied your merchants more than the stars of heaven. The locust plunders and flies away. Your commanders are like swarming locusts. And your generals like great grasshoppers which camp in the hedges on a cold day. When the sun rises, they flee away and the place where they are is not known. Your shepherds slumber, O king of Assyria. Your nobles rest in the dust. Your people are scattered on the mountains and no one gathers them. Your injury, watch this verse 19. Your injury has no healing. Your wound is severe. All who hear news of you will clap their hands over you. For upon whom has not your wickedness passed continually? Now, rather than working our way verse by verse and word by word, allow me to mention some of the high points and summarize the prophecy here in chapter 3. We see the why behind God's judgment upon Nineveh and the Assyrian kingdom. And verse 1 alone gives us quite a few reasons why God brought judgment upon them. Verse 1 says, Woe to the bloody city. It is all full of lies and robbery. Its victim never departs. God through His prophet here calls Nineveh a bloody city. These people were a bloody bunch. They were a bloody bunch. Uh, They were filled with violence. They were filled with cruelty. They multiplied their victims I told you last week that when they were marching, when their army was on the march, the cities and places where they saw them coming, they would rather commit suicide than fall into the hands of these wicked Assyrian people. Now, some people think verses 2 and 3, they describe the downfall of Nineveh. They think that's what's being said here. But I've come to agree with those that actually this is a picture of what Nineveh did and what Nineveh was doing as they carried on their wars and their domination. Verses 2 and 3, the noise of a whip and the noise of rattling wheels, of galloping horses, of clattering chariots, horsemen charged with bright sword and glittering spear. There's a multitude of slain, a great number of bodies, countless corpses. They stumble over the corpses. In other words... Dead bodies piled upon each other and great mounds of them. Why? Because of this cruel, bloody bunch, these Ninevites. Now, I know that's pretty graphic and that's pretty disturbing. And I'm going to spare you the details. I could bring detailed stories of what they were known for doing. But suffice it to say, let me just give you one quote. With sadistic regularity, the Assyrians used to do these things. They would cut off heads cut off hands, feet, ears, and noses. They would gouge out eyes. They would flay and impale their captives and club their enemies to death. They were a wicked, cruel, bloody bunch of people. And God says, I've had enough. Not only were they a bloody bunch, they were also a dishonest bunch. It says here, it talks about the fact that it was full of lies. They were not trustworthy. They were like their, their father, the father of lies, the devil himself. And so there was no truth. They, they were a dishonest bunch. The place was full of lies and dishonesty. And not only were they a bloody bunch and a dishonest bunch, they were also they were a stealing bunch. <laughs> um, it, it mentions here robbery. In other words, they would kill people and take their stuff. That's what they would do. And they multiplied their riches and their treasuries and they built up vast hordes of riches. 
uh, but we, we know that it really did them no good in the end. Because why? Because God said, I am against you. And so, uh, not a pretty picture here. Uh, these were wicked, evil people. They were also an idolatrous bunch. They were leading people astray with them. Look back at verse 4. It's interesting what he talks about there. Because of the multitude of harlotries of the seductive harlot, the mistress of sorceries who sells nations through her harlotries and families through her sorceries. In other words, they were not only practicing this themselves, they were leading other nations astray. Wearsby said this often in Scripture. Idolatry is associated with prostitution. And when you consider that the chief deity of Nineveh, the chief deity of Nineveh was Ishtar. You know who Ishtar was? Ishtar was the goddess of sexual passion, fertility, and war. You can understand why Nahum used this metaphor. Because of their spiritual blindness, the Assyrians were ensnared by the, this evil goddess. And they were under the control of her lust and greed and violence. And people, as Wiersbe said, people become like the God they worship. And because they worship such a false God, that reflected in their own lives. And they led other people astray. Their evil influence spread out to other nations and other peoples through their sorcery, through their idolatry. And God says, I have had enough. You know, God is a long-suffering God. God is a patient God. God is a just God. God is a merciful God. But there is a limit. There is a place where it comes and God says, no more. And that's what you have here in the book of Nahum. You have a prophet speaking for God saying, listen, I've had enough. I've had enough. Strong words here. Strong words. He says there in... Uh, Nahum chapter 3, uh, verses 5 through 7 and 19. I want you to notice what God says. He says, Behold, I am against you. I'm against you. I'm going to show you for who you really are. And, and really there's no hope. I mean, verse 19 pretty much sums it up. Your injury has no healing. Your wound is severe. All who hear about you will clap their hands over you, for upon whom has not your wickedness passed continually? Their wickedness had impacted so many people. I mean, who's going to cry for the fall of Nineveh? No one. They'd be glad to see them fall. I mean, imagine if they could, people would stand, they would cheer as the hearse carrying the body of Nineveh passed by because this wicked, abominable, awful place who impacted so many, led so many astray, had brutalized so many people, was finally getting its just dessert. Now I could go on and on. We could look more closely at verses three through or eight through eighteen, but I think you get the picture. But I've got to be honest with you here. When you read Nahum chapter three, these are not the type of verses that you write down and hang on your fridge. Nobody's going to make a coffee mug out of these verses. Can you imagine? You, you get a coffee mug printed up. It has, it has verse number 6 on it. I will cast abominable filth upon you, make you vile, and make you a spectacle. Happy Boss's Day. I mean, I mean <laughs> nobody's going to do that, right? These are not the type of verses that we are going to hang on our fridge or, or memorize. Nobody's going to take Nahum uh, chapter 3 here and say, I'm going to memorize Nahum chapter 3. And, and so we come to it and we say, what do we do with these verses? What do we do with this prophecy? 
And what we need to do is we need to learn from them. J. Sidlow Baxter called Nineveh one of God's special object lessons. Maybe you like object lessons and, you know, the speaker gets up and they bring along something. I've got a bottle of water with me today and I'm going to talk to you about uh, the purity of the water and, and then put something in it and it turns it black and that is your sin and then put something else and it turns white and Jesus can wash away your sin. You know, we like object lessons. J. Sidlow Baxter says this is one of God's special object lessons. Look at Nineveh. It's an object lesson. Look at it. It's an example. Look at what God did with these people. Look at how God responded to these people. We've got to bring about a resolution to this study. We've been looking at it uh, for this time now throughout the whole book. And I want to give you some lessons. Four in particular I want you to take with you from the study of Nahum. We're going to finish Nahum today. Some are saying, hallelujah, we're going to finish Nahum today. And we're going to look at something different next week. It'll be Baptist Women's Day, and then when we come back, we'll, we'll look at a different direction. But we want to resolve this, then. I want to give you four lessons, four things to take along with you. I want you to write these down, if you would. The first one comes from my wife. Um, we were discussing Nahum. We were discussing this book, and I've told you, I've been very honest and transparent. I didn't want to preach this book. I've just been honest with you. I, I didn't want to. Was it on my list? Was it on my radar screen? Um, I, I think about what I'm going to be preaching. I collect resources. I get books. I do these things thinking about what I'm going to preach in the future. And Nahum was not on the list. And for whatever reason, God says, preach Nahum. I'm like, I don't want to preach Nahum. But what God has stretched me has been one of those challenging books, really, for as an expositor, as a preacher. But we were discussing it one day and I was talking about chapter 3 is coming. She reminded me of this, and I want to remind it of you. It's a great lesson to take with you. We think about Nahum and think about God here and think about this object lesson, and it's this, sin is still serious. Sin is still serious. We get the idea that God has mellowed over the years. We get the idea that like Grandpa, he's chilled out. He used to be really intense and really, you know, but now he, you know, grandkids have come along and he's chilled out. He doesn't have the energy to get so upset anymore and things don't bother him as much as they used to. Beloved, nothing could be further from the truth. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever and will be forevermore. Our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a God of justice and wrath. And that's as true about Him as also the fact that God is a God of love and a God of mercy. We don't get to pick and choose who God is and what God is like. And He's displeased with the cruel brutality and the things, the wickedness of these people. And can I just remind you that He's still displeased. He's still displeased when we are cruel and we are dishonest and when we steal. Our sin is just as abhorrent to God as the sin of the Ninevites. When we sin, because God cannot look upon sin. Sin must be dealt with. And sin is still serious. And if you wonder about that, all you have to do is take a read through Nahum and see that God is really serious about sin. And sin is still serious. There's a second lesson. It kind of builds upon that. And it's this. God will punish sinners. God will punish sinners. That's not a popular statement. But it's a biblical statement. God will punish sinners. And the only way out of God's punishment for sin is through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God has already laid our sin upon His Son. Jesus Christ has already borne our sin upon Himself. 
He went to the cross for our sin. And if we'll trust Christ, we'll give Christ our lives and take Him as our Savior, we won't have to bear the punishment for our sin. It's been laid upon Jesus. And I encourage you, if you've never done that, do it today because God will punish sinners. And He will punish you for all eternity if you do not give your life to Jesus Christ. And you can do that today. You say, what do I do, preacher? You just turn your heart toward Him. You just receive Him. You ask Him to save you. You call upon Him. The Bible says call upon Him and He will save you. Turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ. But if we reject the Son, if we reject the Son, then we spend an eternity in the lake of fire enduring God's wrath. But see, God is a gracious God. You know, we love 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Let me read you 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Uh, the NLT says, The Lord isn't being slow, really being slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He's being patient for your sake. He does not, listen, He does not want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. He wants everybody to be saved. The Bible is clear. All that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He wants everybody. Why is He waiting so long? Because He wants people to repent. He wants people to be saved. He wants people to be in His family, in His kingdom. We love 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, but don't forget chapter 3, verse 10. The very next verse, don't miss this, the very next verse says, but the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. Verse 9, God's grace. Verse 10, God's judgment. God will punish sinners. God will punish sin. And friend, today you can escape that punishment if you'll give your life to Christ. You can do it today. Christ has already borne your punishment for you. He's your substitute. But you must take Him by faith. There's a third lesson here. Um, it's hard to remember this one. We don't always like this one. But it's simply this. Vengeance or revenge. Revenge belongs to God. It's a comforting thought in so many ways. God's going to set everything straight. God's going to set things right. It's not our place to take revenge. It's not our place to execute vengeance. God has given certain entities the authority to punish. We have a government and they, they bring forth the lawbreakers and deal with them. But, but as believers, it's not our place to execute vengeance or take revenge. You can jot this reference down, Romans 12, 19. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the Scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. What's interesting here is to see how God not only deals with individuals, God deals with nations. And God is dealing with the nation of Nineveh, or the nation of Assyria and their capital Nineveh here. O. Palmer Robertson had an interesting comment here. He said, The prophet poses his final question in unavoidable terms. Upon whom has not your cruelty been afflicted? Verse 19. Upon whom have not endured your cruelty? 
He says, shall those whose eyes you have gouged out shed tears at your death? Shall those whose ears and noses you've cut off lament now? Shall the tongues you've chopped off recite your praises? How absurd we say. But you know what it seems like? Because this is a prophecy. It's not actually happened yet at this time. And when Nahum's speaking, it hadn't actually happened. It's a prophecy. It's coming, but it hadn't happened yet. And it seems like, it seems like that Assyria, that Nineveh won. I mean, they're the conquering ones. They're the ones out just winning all over the place. And people who are enduring their wrath, it's like they're winning. But listen, God has the final say. And today, it seems like the enemy is winning. It seems like that the enemy's winning. It seems like that Satan is all victorious. I mean, you look around, it doesn't take but a moment. You look around and see the wickedness in our world. And it appears that the enemy's winning. But never forget, God has the final say. I love what Michael Bentley said. He said, we need to remember that Satan is a defeated foe. He may appear to be very powerful and active in unsettling God's people, but it is Christ, not He, who's won the victory. When the Lord Jesus Christ suffered and died upon the cross of Calvary, He defeated sin, the world, and Satan. Believers should constantly keep before them this fact. Christ has won the victory. I don't care what's going on in our world. I don't care how bad things get, how wickedness multiplies. Never forget, God has won the victory through Christ. We're on the winning side. We're on the winning side. And our job is not to take vengeance. No, 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 no. Uh-uh. Vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. You, you leave that with God. You trust Him. Three down, one to go, then we'll go home. This might be the hardest one of all. Our nation is not exempt. We think that we're really something. We sail about proudly like the Titanic in all of our majesty and all of our glory. And we forget that the maker of the iceberg is actually the one who's really in charge. Now I want you to hear me. I love our nation. Please understand that. I love our nation. But I have to wonder when I read a book like Nahum, I have to wonder, how much longer is God going to tolerate our evil? Aren't we a bloody bunch? I mean, aren't we a bloody place? I look at verse 10. Verse 10 is a very disturbing picture of them taking little infants and dashing them up against rocks and up against, you know, killing them off in a brutal way. And I think about our nation. And every weekday in our nation... Aren't we doing the same thing as we butcher millions of babies in the wounds of their mother? What about it? He says they're a bloody bunch, so are we. He says they're a dishonest bunch. They're full of lies. What about America? How truthful and trustworthy has America become? Are we liars? Absolutely. What about robbery? What about stealing? Are we robbers? Absolutely. Well, what about the other one? What about idolatry and sorcery and perversion? Are we guilty of that as a nation? Yes, 
Yes and yes. You know, we look at biblical prophecy. We look in the end times. We go and study books like Daniel and Thessalonians and we get in the book of Revelation. And, and I'll be honest with you, beloved, where is America? Where is America? I guess swallowed up by somebody else. Swallowed up by somebody else. We don't know how much more time we have. It appears, and by the way, this is not to discourage you. This is to exhort you and me. We don't have much time we have left. As days seem to be growing darker and things become more wicked. We, we look at things that are going on in our world. And I can't help but think of Romans where it talks about professing to be wise, they become fools. Ignorant fools. Because they know not God, nor do they honor God. And they worship the creation rather than the Creator. And we're a confused bunch. Understand the latest Apple update now has an emoji of pregnant man or pregnant men. Professing to be wise, they become fools. And I look at our nation, and I look at Scripture, and I look at God's holiness, and I wonder, how much longer, oh God, are you going to preserve us? But while He does, in His mercy and His grace, remember, He's a long-suffering God. He's a merciful God. But what has God called you and I to be as believers? He's called us to be salt and light. And that's what we need to be. With God's help, we need to be salt and light. So what does that look like, preacher? It looks like this. With God's help, we need to live right. We need to speak right. We need to act right. And we need to be right. And we need to stand and speak the truth in love, but stand boldly as Christ enables us and say, Thus saith the Lord. You say, what's going to happen? I don't know. <laughs> I know what actually ends up happening at the end. We're on the winning side. We say, what about between now and then? I don't know. I have no idea. We could go to jail. We could be shut down. We could have a fence erected around our church. They could plow us down. Hey, that'll never happen. Really? Just look around at what's going on in our world. Look at what's happening to the church in Canada. And what has happened throughout the days. And the day could come. Why? Because they say, oh, what you preach, what you teach from that Bible is hate speech. It's wrong. It's unloving. No, it's loving. You know why? The most loving thing you can do, beloved, is to tell people the truth. A doctor who won't tell you you have cancer because he might hurt your feelings, he ain't loving you. Pardon my grammar. That's the most unloving thing he could do. The most loving thing he could do is to say, listen, I hate to tell you this, but your body has cancer. We've got to go in and we've got to take that cancer out. And you've got to have some treatments because our goal is to get you well. And as believers, we've got to go into a world and tell people, listen, 
I, I don't like to have to tell you this, but here's the truth. We're all sinners. And our sin has separated us from a holy God. And if we don't get our sin right with God, we're going to die and go to hell. But here's the good news. God loves us so much He sent His Son, God in the flesh, to die on a cross to take your sin and my sin. And He was buried and He rose again. And here's what He says in His Word. If you'll simply take Him as your Savior, He not only saves you, He forgives you all of your sin, gives you a hope in heaven, gives you joy, gives you peace, gives you meaning, gives you satisfaction. Oh, and by the way, He also places you in His family, makes you an heir and joint heir with Jesus Christ. Oh, and by the way, even better than that, when you die, you don't just go in a grave, you don't just go into a a cremation situation, you don't just get swallowed up by the elements. When you die absent from the body, present with the Lord in glory, you, you get a new body, you, you spend eternity with Jesus forever and you worship. Talk about a good news story. But you've got to know the bad news to get to the good, the, the good news. And the good news is Jesus saves. He saves. And so I say to you today, take the good news with you. Speak it. Live it. Tell others about it. Share the good news. We're living in dark, dark, dark days. But where does the light shine the brightest? In the dark. Your light. And as we used to sing in Sunday school and in vacation Bible school, we didn't have all these cool videos and all this technology and lights and lasers. We were just a bunch of ignorant kids saying, hide it under a bushel. No! I'm going to let it shine. That's still good teaching. That's still good theology. That's still good, good singing right there. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine all over Ransonville. I'm going to let it shine. Shine brightly for Jesus. Don't hide your light. Shine brightly for Him. Father, we love You. We praise You. We glorify You. Lord, You led us to this book. You've led us through this book. And take us out of this place with these truths in our hearts. And let us shine brightly for Jesus Christ. Friend, if you don't know Christ today, today's today to turn from your sin and place your faith in Christ. We're going to do something different today. I'm just going to pray and we're going to go home. I'm not going to sing an invite song. I'm not going to do any of that. I'm just going to pray and we're going to go home. But I'm going to stay up here today. And maybe God has spoken to your heart. Maybe you need to be saved today. I'd love to meet you up here. Pastor Larry would love to talk with you. If you're a lady, you want to speak with a lady, my wife, others here will be happy to talk with you. That's all we're going to do today. We're going to pray and go. You could fellowship. You can talk to each other. We're not going to sing. But just know this. If you need to make sure of your salvation, please come talk with us. We'd love to help you. All right? Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for your love. Now I pray if anybody here 
You're working on their heart right now. Just give them the courage to come and let us know that. And we'd love, Lord, to take a Bible and share Christ with them. We'd love to rejoice in newfound faith in Christ in this place. And then, Lord, for those of us who do know you, help us to chew on these truths for a while. Help us to live right, act right, speak right, and be right with your help. Help us to shine brightly for the Lord Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. God bless you. We love you.